This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Place the item in the backing area. We're on that third mega trend where consumers have really have taken over the shopping channel because now they're walking into stores a lot more informed. For a lot of brands, especially digital natives, they want to test and see what's working first and then make some educated decisions. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customers. They love that. We've got fresh inventory and the doors are open. Retailers have been working to adapt to a rapidly evolving landscape. Stores are continuously looking to drive engagement by providing a wide range of products and services. And joining me today to chat about creating partnerships and ecosystems in retail is Deanne Campbell. She is the VP of Retail Strategy and Insights at Harbor Retail. Deanne, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to get uh, the the opportunity to chat about this with you today. And as I mentioned off the top, just that retail landscape really has shifted over the last several years quite a bit. Give us a sense just of what has occurred over the course of that shift and maybe where we were and where we're going in the future. Well, it's been a tremendous shift in both who is shopping and how they shop. And it's been happening very quickly over the past couple of years. The traditional path to purchase has changed uh, almost overnight in in retail years, um, energy and convenience are probably the, one of the most important shopping currencies out there. Time is now the luxury. And retailers today who help shoppers access a wider range of products and services with fewer steps are really going to come out the winners of this. Uh, we're also seeing um, one big change that surprised me is the rise in multi-generational households, uh, literally one in five households in the U.S. has multiple generations living under the same roof. And as a result, purchase decisions are now more of a family decision. And you know how family meetings can go. It's, it's not always easy to get uh, agreement by consensus. But um, looking at, at retail studies, um, consistently showing that as much as 85% of decisions on what to buy in a household are influenced in some way by a Gen Z. But it's really boomers who still have the money. So how do retailers now navigate creating shopping experiences, both online and in store, that appeal to this very broad range of demographic for shoppers that are jointly making purchase decisions? Yeah, that's a that's a really great point and a really intriguing topic because uh, you know I can't get my my entire family to you know agree on pizza toppings, much less <laughs> you know a, a, a shopping list for for retail type establishments and that sort of thing. So you know that that is a huge challenge for retailers, and that kind of leads me to where I where I wanted to go next, and that's just talking about what are the priorities for shoppers these days. You talked about that energy and that convenience. Um, are shoppers prioritizing those things over other elements, and how can retailers try to really meet that new set of expectations from shoppers? Oh, they absolutely are prioritizing convenience. I call it energy being the new currency. That's just kind of a way I think about it. But uh, delivery, home delivery, online ordering, are and, and even uh, buy online, pick up in store. A lot of people call it BOPIS. Some people call it click and collect. That is uh, one of the key drivers for uh, how a shopper will select where they buy something from. They want to make sure that retailers offer them this this choice of service. Even if they don't use it all the time, they want to know they could if they wanted to. 
So really convenience and um, a blending of channels is essential now for retailers because that is one of the, the fundamentals of how shoppers shop. So yeah, like you mentioned, those are some pretty big shifts in the world of retail, especially for these traditional retailers, like uh, establishing a buy online, pick up in store type uh, type environment, or um, you know curbside pickup, things along those lines. These are some big shifts, and anytime you see shifts like this or changes, they're going to be growing pains. There are going to be pressure points. So how has that had an effect on retailers and how they go about their regular operations? Oh, it's a tremendous impact across the board in retail. So not only is it an incredibly expensive endeavor to to really uh, revise your, your entire business model to embrace different kinds of fulfillment. So instead of we have a warehouse and anything you order online is coming to you from that warehouse. And if you're in a store, you're just going to go and buy what we have in the store. Instead, it is an absolute blending of those two elements, and stores are not really geared up to act like warehouses, and warehouses are not really geared up for things like rapid same-day shipping, one-day shipping um, across large distances. And so now retailers are finding that they have to update their technology so that they can have accurate um, inventory controls so they can ship from different uh, fulfillment points, uh, just to whatever is closest to a retailer, that they um, they work with landlords so they can try to find ways to get uh, distribution centers closer to neighborhoods so they don't have to drive across long distances, which make it very, very tough to meet those those rapid delivery expectations that customers now have. And, and just Dealing too with with training, with staffing, with with logistics, with delivery trucks, it's uh, asking a lot for retailers to do that if they have ten years to ramp up, and instead they've been asked to do that in literally one to two years. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a lot of a lot of work. Now, one of the ways that uh, retailers have really uh, been trying to meet these new expectations from shoppers and add value to the to the customer experience has been by adopting partnerships uh, with other brands. And uh, I was wondering if you could just kind of speak a little bit more towards the value that partnerships create um, for shoppers and for retailers and how they're driving uh, what you at, at Harbor Retail refer to as harmonic retail. I think partnerships are probably the key to success for most retail, and that's a bold statement, but uh, that really is playing out, and this is something that we've been talking about and looking at for the past year, and our current pandemic situation has only emphasized that how important partnerships are. So thinking about ways to make customers want to come into your stores more often or uh, blending other people's products and services into your products and services can be a tremendous win-win situation. And having a good partner ecosystem can mean um, keeping a customer for life versus having them just skip over to the next person down the line. And, and with customers being harder and more expensive to acquire, that is an extremely important thing to, to, be, to keep top of mind. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And just, just in the, in the, 
course of our conversation and, and talking to you about this, it feels like maybe partnerships were viewed as something that were optional, you know, a nice little benefit in the past, but now they're becoming pretty mandatory to brands and, and to retailers. Uh, so what are some key factors to think through for retailers when choosing partners for a retail ecosystem and really building that ecosystem? How do you find the partners that, that work the best for your particular retail establishment? I think that the first thing you have to do is have shared values. You do not have to have shared customer demographics. In fact, one of the benefits is maybe expanding your demographic, bringing in people that that draw a different type of customer. Because as I said before, purchase decisions are being made with influence from multiple generations now. So you can't afford to just target one age group. Um, But finding people who do share those same values. Do you have the same uh, approach to sustainability? Do you care about the environment the same level? You can't really have someone who has really um, polluting products in a a store that promotes uh, health and wellness and and non-polluting products. So um, that's really the biggest challenge. Other than that, it's really uh, one of the beauties of partnerships to me is that imagination is encouraged looking at unusual combinations. And you look at someone like Walgreens, they brought in Birchbox, which was an online only subscription service, but it's turned out to be a really great fit for Walgreens. So now the, the products that you would have to subscribe to um, online and you'd wait until the package shows up on your front doorstep to see what you're going to get. Now you can go into a Walgreens and actually pick some of the items that you want yourself. They also brought in FedEx, so you can go and drop off a package or pick it up in in a Walgreens. And uh, last year, they partnered with Kroger. So now, instead of going all the way to the grocery store because you run out of of lettuce um, for a dinner party, pop over to Walgreens, which is just around the corner, take take 10 minutes instead of an hour, and pick up those, those few things that you need. So now you're giving customers a reason to go to Walgreens more often. And to keep Walgreens top of mind for trips other than just when you run out of shampoo. And at the same time, you're giving companies like Birchbox and FedEx and even Kroger access to a customer much closer to home. And so you can save money on some of your shipping costs and and delivery costs and fulfillment costs because the customer is much nearer to try to get that product to them. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the the way that that Birchbox, I I love that example because for a while it felt like, you know, Birchbox was an exclusive thing, right? Like if you wanted those products, you had to go on and be part of their their service and, and go online and kind of subscribe there. Whereas now when you bring it into a Walgreens, you're able to then go in and check it out. And it almost brings that exclusivity to that particular store, which creates some excitement about going into a Walgreens. Oh, I want to go in and I want to check out these products and maybe build some anticipation for that shopping trip that maybe didn't exist before. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And really, if you're just going for shampoo, you might choose to go to Target instead of Walgreens because, eh, you know, it's the same shampoo. What does it matter? It might even be cheaper at Target. But now you're thinking, but I can't get Birchbox at at Target, and I can't get Kroger at Target, and I can't get these other things at uh, at Target. So I really, uh, I am going to go to Walgreens. And so you're building customer loyalty. You're creating this very convenient um, and very supportive ecosystem for the shopper that makes them want to to uh, come to you because you're serving them much more completely. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, one of the things that that this kind of raises in my mind, anyways, is that anytime you're talking about a partnership, you're talking about a relationship between you know two brands, two companies. And from my experience, and I'm guessing the majority of people's experience, that relationships require compromise of some point of some sort, right? So, what are some of the challenges that retailers should expect, and what are some of the, maybe the compromises that they should expect to have to make when it comes to partnerships like what you're describing? That's a great question. It's really not as easy as it looks. It sounds simple. You go knocking on someone's door and say, hey, you want a partner? (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) it can be very complicated, especially when you're dealing with established large retailers like Target or Nordstrom or Macy's. And so you, every company has their own brand guidelines, their own logos. They, They have their own way of merchandising products. They even, in some cases, have their own way that they like staff to talk to customers about those products. So how do you find that middle ground? How do you compromise between bringing all those things in? Because you don't want the store to look like a mess. You don't want it to look chaotic. You want to create this this cohesive customer experience so it doesn't feel like a department store or a house of brands. It feels like a a, a branded house and really where it's it's an environment that works together. So how do you do that? And the other piece of that is is the numbers. Um, yeah, measuring success, that's another big challenge. Who gets to see the sales data and the shopper analytics? Uh, what if the shopper analytics are generated by Target? Do they share those analytics to show Harry just ha- Harry's razors just how many times customers have stopped at that sh- Harry's razor shelf, or do they keep that data for themselves and consider it part of, of some proprietary information on their own target shopper? So, um, but at the same time, not sharing means you're not maximizing the value of those partnerships. So you really have to start um, building out um, communication lines that you have never built before. You have to uh, come to some agreements that could be very uncomfortable. You even have to consider things like, do you charge rent? Because obviously you're going to have uh, a little bit of extra cost to bring in this, this new retailer. Or does the sales lift, lift that having these partner um, products and services in your store, the sales lift that they bring you or the increased traffic, is that the equivalent of the rent? Um, how do you work out the right thing to do? And I really believe that in the future, um, a lot of retailers are going to have something like a chief partnership officer, perhaps, or with a whole department dedicated to finding great partners and managing those partner relationships and um, making sure that a, a healthy ecosystem is the end result of all those partnerships. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. And I hadn't thought through, you know, a, a little bit more of the product display, like you mentioned. But if we go back to that, that Harry's razor. Uh, example uh, that you mentioned, maybe at Target or something like that. You know, how do you go about displaying Harry's razors? Do you do it in a way that is unique? You know, do you put them on an end cap with a big display? Are they amongst the rest of the shaving products? And if you do that, do you risk making Old Spice angry or or somebody else? So there's a lot to think through there, right? There are a lot of different factors uh, to ensure that things go smoothly. And I think you're right. I think that maybe the the eventual, uh, you know, creation of, you know, a, a permanent position to kind of help deal with that it seems like it makes a lot of sense because there are so many factors to think through. Yeah, absolutely. And then what do you do if the person, uh, a shopper comes into your store to look at your products and then they go home and buy those products online from that direct uh, to consumer 
manufacturer. So you're not getting the revenue lift from it. Um, you know, there, there are things, things like that that you really have to think through carefully and decide how do you feel about that? How are you going to deal with it? And, and how are you going to keep this partnership balanced and fair and really a win-win for everyone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned COVID-19 earlier and just the impact that's having across the retail landscape. And we'd be remiss to do a retail podcast right now and sit here and have this conversation without talking just about the effects that it's having. Um, and you mentioned how that relates to partnerships, but I just want to flesh it out in a little bit more detail, how COVID-19 really drives home the need and uh, and maybe the mandatory requirement for retailers to really form these strong partnerships uh, in their stores. I think being a retailer is one of the hardest uh, things to be right now because uh, retail is being tasked more and more in our society to be our conscious, to be our, our um, you know, in lieu of government legislation. Retailers are often the people to rise to the challenge as customers are pressing for more and more environmental uh, climate protections. It's the retailers who are stepping up to try to find ways to f- satisfy some of that demand. And the same thing is happening with COVID-19. So uh, we were already trending upwards exponentially each year uh, for home delivery and buy online pickup in the store and curbside pickup. Those things were trends that were an inevitable reality two to three years from now. Suddenly, we've had to have two to three years of development happen in a month, in 30 days. And retail is really feeling the, the pressure and the brunt of that. How on earth do you mobilize and change your entire business model that quickly? Well, you, you really can't. And when you think about it too, um, shopping centers and even just stores in general, the, um, the design of the real estate is not... <clears throat> is not configured to handle long lines of cars who are showing up for curbside pickup um, and and parking lots and, and things like that are, are just not designed for it as well. And even our streets, uh, our city streets, are not designed to handle um, huge numbers of delivery vehicles these days, especially if you're looking at a, a dense city like New York or L.A. And retailers are, are the ones who are having to figure all of that out. And it's, it's a challenge. Uh, but what interests me is that partnerships have really been a boon for retailers throughout um, this, this, uh, this pandemic. And if you look like, at someone like Panera Bread, um, they have struggled um, with customers. They haven't been doing well, haven't been able to stay open because they aren't necessarily an essential business. Uh, but they've managed to switch gears and bring in groceries and offer groceries to customers through Panera Bread and kind of be that bridge to, um, you know, right now, if you order groceries at your local grocery store, they give you a, a time slot. And sometimes that pickup or delivery time slot can be a week out. Well, what if you need something tomorrow? So Panera has found a way to partner with food suppliers to really be that bridge and help people out. That's, that's, that's how a partnership can really help uh, offset risk uh, in a time of, of pandemic. And also, it will help Panera navigate how to make that change more permanent and kind of spread out some of the, the pain and the cost of the infrastructure changes by bringing in these partners who can help them accomplish that. 
Yeah, and I really like how you took us to, you know, to a little bit of looking forward, right? And, and part of my curiosity regarding the whole, um, this whole pandemic situation that we find ourselves in is just what innovations and adaptations uh, exist beyond coronavirus? How do we change in ways that uh, also benefit business once the pandemic has kind of passed and, and we're, we're beyond all of this? How do you see retail adapting during this time in a way that could also be beneficial long-term and, and be uh, a sustaining part of retail after coronavirus is over? Oh, this is where I make another bold statement that gets me in trouble. <laughs> and that is something that I've been I've been predicting for a couple of years and, and everyone just kind of gets mad at me for saying it. So I'm going to say it and make everybody mad. Um, but I really think the business model of retail is going to flip. I think that your, uh, it, your children, when they think of Target, they're going to think of the website, not the store. And I think that's what's going to happen to retail across the board. The digital representation of the company is going to become the main um the main retail aspect, the transactional core of the business. And stores are going to really become kind of a supporting character. And uh, just like social media or, um, or other aspects of the store, it's they're going to stores, uh, brick and mortar is going to be secondary. And I think that is going to give retail a way to... Um, be much more financially in, in control of their own destiny. So the size of the store, the type of store is going to be very flexible. You're going to want to be closer to communities and neighborhoods uh, so you don't have to spend as much money on fulfillment and accessing that customer. Hmm. So you can partner with convenience stores and pharmacies to have that local community presence. You can you can build a large distribution center somewhere out in the boonies uh, where rent is cheap, but then you can create these high-rise, multi-story micro uh, distribution centers close into the city so that you can better manage the cost of transporting goods from those far-out expensive, uh, uh, far-distance distribution centers, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, th in a way, this reminds me a little bit of maybe the the Toys R Us example, who you know for years and years obviously had the, the gigantic, mega, huge toy stores, and then went bankrupt, and now they're they're starting to come back, but with smaller, a little bit more agile stores. I think that can maybe adjust to the market a little bit better, and maybe meet consumers' needs and expectations on a different level. Do you see it somewhat like that, where, um, where yeah, the, the retail takes a, a bit of a a bit of a turn to look different and like you mentioned stores maybe smaller a little bit more agile to be able to accommodate what what customers are really looking for absolutely and i think that flexibility of of store is going to be really critical and it is a way to really harmonize with your customer too so you can tailor the type of store the size of the store even the type of products and the partners that you have within that store to each community and you can do that very agilely and very easily and that way you can have you can sell the right products for that community in that community and and do so in a very affordable way and that also seems to be a response to 
the fact that uh, with data and analytics, we're, we're getting smarter about what customers are looking for, right? We're, we're able to have a more granular look at, at what people are coming into stores for, what they're buying, and that sort of thing. So I think that merges well with just where we are in terms of data just and just having a better understanding of what customers are looking for. Absolutely. 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 Well, uh, Deanne Campbell, she has uh, so much experience and expertise when it comes to the retail industry. She's the VP of Retail Strategy and Insights at Harbor Retail. Thank you so much for joining me today, Deanne, and uh, fleshing these, uh, these topics out in a little bit more detail. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. And everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to go subscribe and you'll get more content just like this. Also, be sure to check out everything that Harbor Freight has to offer on their website as well. I've mentioned it before, but I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon with more episodes, but until then, have a great day. 